Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he presented us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and, and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be into effect when the, time, when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been destined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in, in with a seal, the, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a d deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Done. Uh, that's Paul's fault, by the way. That's one run-on sentence. Uh, one sentence in Paul <laughs> from Ephesians. Uh, well, good morning again and, and welcome. I just want to check that this is synced with this. There we go. We're all good. Great. Um, welcome. We've been in a series uh, asking the question, what is the church? And uh, this morning we're going to see that the church is possessed by God's Spirit. The church is possessed by God's Spirit. Uh, we've been asking this question, what is the church? Because we felt, having been away for so long, you know, through COVID and various, you know, taking us different directions, um, given where we are as a society and as a culture, there's a lot of people wondering, what's the point of church? What's the value in, in 
coming, even being a part of a fellowship. And we thought it's important that we return to understand God's purpose in who we are as the church. Uh, this is where we've been going in terms of overview. Uh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, we've seen that the church has a special relationship to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. And specifically, uh, we are God's own people. Uh, we are the redeemed of the Lord, and we're born of the Spirit. This morning, we're going to see kind of as a subheading in that, that we are God's own possession. God's own possession, his own people. So welcome. Welcome to the fellowship of the spirit born. That is who we are. Um, one of the best things I reckon about being a parent is passing on the family lore. You get to be in a position where you finally become the storyteller. Uh, you know, as a kid, you spend so many time listening to the stories over and over and over again. But, but being, being a parent, you get to now pass on the family lore. You can sort of shade it a little bit this way. You can sort of spin it a little bit that way. Uh, the facts, though, remain the facts. Um, but what we're doing when we do this, when we explain our family lore, our family heritage to our children, we're inviting them to take their place. We're inviting them to belong as part of a bigger story. And this is important for every generation. When we fail to do this, we are liable to raise nearsighted, rootless, rudderless children who go through life inevitably twisting in the cultural winds of their own times. But here, as Paul begins his letter to the church at Ephesus, he begins with a thanksgiving that functions both First of all, to celebrate God, it's a blessing of him, it's a, to celebrate God, but also, secondly, to locate the Christians in Ephesus within the wider story of their heavenly father. So they're celebrating God on the one hand, but they're locating themselves in God's story, the story of their heavenly father. So I want to encourage everyone here today to listen to this message so that you can understand a part of the grander picture of this story of salvation. What I'm doing for you this morning is I'm letting you in on the spiritual family lore. And to the best of my ability, I'm not gonna shade it, I'm not gonna color it, I'm not gonna spin it. I'm gonna give it to you as it's been passed on to us. And so this is important for children, it's important for adults, it's important for people in all stages of life because we need to know where we fit. There it goes. <laughs> I knew that happened one day. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. This is Jane, everybody. Thanks, Jane. You know, they teach you in seminary. They say, you got to make sure you put the Bible right out front so everybody, like, understands that you're preaching from the Bible. They never tell you what to do when you, when you put you too far. Um, Belonging is what this is all about. And when we are letting people into uh, the story of God, we are inviting them to belong. Now, belonging is important because it secures our identity and our worth. Uh, this is why abandonment is so cruel. Um, and many people who have been abandoned, they have lingering effects long after the event. The reason is because the lack of belonging, the lack of inclusion... Uh, that form of abandonment, it sends a message. It sends a message about their identity and worth. 
But I want to encourage you this morning, if that's been a part of your history, there is no one better to belong to than God. There's no one's family you'd rather be a part of than his. That's in part because you don't need to impress God to receive his love. You don't need to impress him to receive his love. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't impressive when he sent his son. He didn't look at us and say, look at those people. Well, they've been so good to me, I guess I better do something good to them. As John would write, he would say, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So we don't need to impress God to receive his love. Jesus taught us that God is the true and perfect father. And think about a few things about who, who our God is. He is our creator. And, and in saying this, we need to understand that he f- shaped us in his image, formed us in every way, and breathed life into us when he brought us into being. As our provider, he sovereignly placed us in a world that's vast, a world with an ecosystem of resources. He supplied us with talents to work that we might reflect his glory in the world. As our protector, he establishes us in strength with justice and righteousness. He shows us the way of life and he doesn't fail to rescue us after we fell. And God's our king. He reigns supreme over us. He is perfect in holiness. He dwells beyond what anybody can see And he ordains his will for all. But it brings us to the big question, how do we know we belong? If this is who God is, if he's creator, if he's provider, if he's sovereign king and Lord, and how do we know we actually belong? That's the question we're going to try to answer this morning. I'll never forget as a kid, I was, I think I was in year seven or year eight, and I brought home a bad report card to, to my parents. And look, the truth was, I wasn't giving it my best effort. <laughs> and my parents knew that too, and they called me out on it. And I'll never forget sitting outside, talking to my parents and saying, you know, we actually don't care about the mark. What we care about is you. And we know, we know that you're better than this. We know there's more in you than this. And I said to them, ah, oh, rubbish. I didn't say rubbish, because we didn't use that word in America. <laughs> I said something else. But I said to them, no, 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 no. You, you just love me because I do what you want. You see, I got it twisted in my own mind. I thought I belonged because of what I did. And I think it's, that's a question that probably a lot of teenagers ask. And maybe some of you are spiritual teenagers right now. And you, 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 you kind of wondering about that. Am, am I, God, am I a part of this family because I march to the beat of your drum? Like, how do I know I'm really, really a part of this? How do I know I really, really belong to you? That's a question that we're going to try and answer this morning from Ephesians chapter 1. The answer to that question and the, and the big idea is that the Spirit marks us as God's own people. How do we know we belong? We know we belong because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's presence assures us, assures us that we belong to God. 
As John Stott would say, God puts his spirit within his people in order to mark them as his own. I'm going to get you to focus on that word mark, mark or seal. That's what this message is all about this morning, how God includes us. I want to invite you to pray with me now, and then we'll jump into uh, the rest of this message. Father in heaven, would you encourage us this morning as we seek to understand who we are in you. May you bless us, give us purpose, give us understanding of, of what you're doing. May we see ourselves in your story today. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, and here Paul writes, in him that is in Christ, we were also chosen. That word chosen means we were appointed by lot. It, uh, lot is they, they would roll the dice or they would, they would cast the lot in the Bible. And the idea was that, that that was your inheritance. When they moved into the promised land, Moses took them out of Egypt. They finally got into the promised land. Joshua took them in and they're driving out the nations that God told them to drive out. And God said, I've given you this land as your inheritance. Well, who gets what? That was appointed by lot. And so every tribe had its portion. And so here Paul is calling on that heritage. He says, in him we were also apportioned. We were apportioned, we were appointed, we were chosen. Having been predestined, that's foreordained. We're talking something totally outside of time right now. Having been predestined according to the plan or the showing forth or the presentation, the presentation of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What is all of this saying? Paul is saying that you and I, in Jesus Christ, were apportioned, were appointed by lot, according to the plan of God who, present tense, I believe, is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Think about how great God must be that he can work everything in accordance with his will. There is no loose threads in the tapestry of God's providence. There's nothing that he's circling back to clean up. He doesn't need to send his plan off to Grammarly. He doesn't need to have an editor go and review it. Everything is being brought right back into conformity with the purpose of his will. God is truly sovereign. And in his sovereignty, Paul tells the church, you and I, we were apportioned. We were chosen. Paul's going to tell us why. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be or might exist for the praise of his glory. So Paul says, before all time began, God said you're going to have a special function that you're going to exist to celebrate, to honor the glory of God. You say, what's the glory of God? The glory of God is the shining forth of his person and his character. Every good thing. Kids, have you ever had somebody come up to you, maybe an auntie or an uncle, they come up to you, they pinch your cheek and they say, oh, you're the spitting image of my grandson or you're the spitting image of my granddaughter. And you say, what on earth are you doing? I have no idea. You're grabbing my face and this makes no sense. 
I'm supposed to smile because this is clearly meaningful to you, but to me, I don't know what this is all about. Let me tell you what they're doing when they do that. When they pinch your face or they cup your face in their hands and they look at you and their eyes start to well up with tears, what are they doing? They're seeing their glory in you. No, I'm serious. They are seeing something of the, the heritage and the legacy and, 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 and the goodness of their family line in you. And they say, I see that in you. How much greater is the church to the praise of the glory of God? We were apportioned for that. But the crux of where we're going this morning comes in verses 13 and 14, where Paul writes that, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. We hear the gospel message, and when we believe, we're told, we're marked in him that is in Christ with a seal, with the promised Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is described, verse 14, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, when we read this first, we say, guaranteeing our inheritance, we say, I get an inheritance? What? Ooh, that sounds good. I like an inheritance. Raise your hand if you hope to get an inheritance one day. All right. Oh, come on. Let's be honest, people here. Let's go. That was a test. You see, every once in a while, I test to see who's paying attention. Now, I just made it real awkward for some of you because you got family around and you're like, <laughs> suddenly you're looking at each other thinking, you're trying to knock me off, right? All right. We think, ooh, I get an inheritance. This sounds really good, right? You envision Scrooge McDuck and you're swimming in sort of ponds of gold, right? But we need to ask the question, whose inheritance? Because grammar in English can mean to, it can look like it's saying one thing when it's saying another. But the clue's at the end of the verse. So the spirit is a deposit or a first installment is an earnest payment the first apportion, the, the, the lay-by, if you will, <laughs> guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Literally, the Spirit is the down payment of the inheritance of us until the redemption of the possession for the praise of his glory. What Paul is saying is the inheritance is in this instance, it's not ours, it's God's. This is the hardest thing to get our head around, but it is the key to understanding what Paul's trying to say here. Do we share in the riches of Christ? Absolutely, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about what God would say to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9, where he says, the Lord's portion is his people. The Spirit is in effect God's first installment. It's his first payment. He's come down to his creation and he's put his spirit on, on, on the church and he says, I've marked you, I've paid for you, I've redeemed you, and I will fully possess you. You are mine. Now, this isn't just Paul's idea. This actually is throughout scripture in, in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, 
the prophet receives a vision of somebody going through and marking, marking all of God's people in the city. Later on in the book of Revelation, John, in, when he's writing about the, the apocalypse, he's writing about what he sees. He's given all these images and these visions. And you may have heard of the 144,000. Those are the ones that God has marked. The mark of the beast is so scary, not because it's some secret Da Vinci code sort of thing. No, the mark of the beast is scary because it means you don't bear the mark of the lamb. And John's saying to to the people, he's saying, you'll be marked by one or the other. And so this idea that God has placed his sign, his symbol, his mark upon the church, upon his people, is right through scripture. And so the picture here is that the spirit's presence in our life is not... It's not the, the letter that I get saying, guess what? You've been granted an inheritance. No. The Spirit's present of my, presence in my life is God's down payment. It's God's claim of ownership. It's God's deed of title to me and to you. You see. We've just seen in this section that Paul has past, present, and future referring ideas in these verses. And what I want to show you this morning is that the Spirit's presence is described in these three ways. He's described as as promised, he's described as an imprint or a marking, and he's described as a down payment. Now, the thing with each of these descriptions is it confirms that we belong. You're familiar with the idea of a wax seal. The idea was when you wanted to send messages to people, back in the olden days, you, you needed to trust that the message hadn't been tampered with. And instead of, you know, encrypting an email or sending it to uh, a one specific account, what you had to do is you had to send it out into the big wide world. And you sent it out into the big wide world, but you had to close it and you had to seal it. And you had to ask yourself, how is the person going to know that this message actually came from me? How does it carry my authority and how does it carry my authentic signature? And people would, would develop these ornate stamps. And so they would mark them. The message would be sealed. In future epistles, Paul would say that the church is God's letter, that his message is written on our hearts. And here in this sense, the spirit of God is the authenticating mark or sign that God had promised he would give, that he would bless his people and dwell with them. So the spirit's presence in our life is a fulfillment of God's promise. How do we know we belong? When we recognize that we have the Spirit, we know that God's kept his promise. You see, right back at the beginning of the Bible, he said that he would come, that he would bless all the nations. 
And we learn through the scriptures that the greatest blessing that God can ever give is to dwell with his people. That's the blessing we need. That's the blessing we want. We don't need the blessing of, of just material goods that, that, that will fade or rot or perish. We need the blessing of an eternal God and his presence. And the spirit is God proving that he came good on that promise. And can I tell you the good thing is that promise is still available today. You can receive the blessing of God. Jesus said, anyone who asks of the Father will be given his spirit. But there's another picture here. And that's the picture of the spirit as an imprint. On the screen behind me is a picture of branding that you would use for cattle. And the idea was, if you had an animal, or in the old days, even a slave... And you needed everyone to know whose they were. They would be marked. There would be an imprint put upon them. This is what people are doing with with tattoos today, many people. They're authenticating their their own experience. They're authenticating their own journey. They're witnessing to their own life. And they're doing it by marking themselves. Back in those days, if you had a... If you had a bull or a calf, you'd heat up the brand in the fire and in the, and, and, and in the fire when it, was, when it was warmed and when it was hot and the steel, the iron was hot, it would be applied to the flesh and there would be a searing that would leave a lasting imprint. This is the picture that with the coming of the spirit, there is, there is a flame set within the heart of the Christian. And that the byproduct is that you and I bear the imprint of Christ. We show that we belong to God. Now, unlike tattoos or unlike cattle or or other things, the mark we bear is not external, it's internal. It's internal where God sees. So the Spirit not only shows that God's kept his promise, the Spirit also imprints upon us the image of Christ. And finally, the Spirit is is a pledge or or a down payment. The word for down payment there is is a word that's borrowed from from Jewish vocabulary. And in in modern days, the word is the same word that's used for an engagement ring. It's, it's a pledge. You see, but unlike an engagement ring, which is, which is simply an attachment to a future reality, the Spirit's presence in the life of the believer is, is really, as we've said, the first installment. It's good money. It's a good deposit of, of what is coming so it's not simply, it's not simply uh, an IOU. The spirit in the life of the believers and God saying, yep, I owe you something. It's called heaven and I'm gonna bring you there one day. <laughs> no, the spirit is the foretaste. It's, in older English, we'd call it, it's earnest money. It's the earnest payment. The first fruits of things to come. And so, in all of these things, we see that 
God is guaranteeing that we belong to him. The Spirit's presence in our life is to show us that we are his. Now you mark something is, uh, I really like what Lloyd-Jones has said about this. He said, he said, in common day usage, the way people use a seal, they seal things, first of all, as a marker of authority or authenticity. Secondly, it's used as a branding of sorts or an imprint. And the third thing that a seal does is it secures something. And I think each of these images fit beautifully here. The Spirit is God's authorization that we are recipients of the blessings. Paul would say in verse 3 that every blessing is ours, every spiritual blessing is ours. The Spirit's presence in our life is God authorizing that you indeed receive the blessing of heaven. The second is that the Spirit authenticates us in that we are being transformed and becoming like Christ. His stamp is put upon us. We're not the same anymore. And finally, the Spirit's present presence secures us. It guarantees our future because we are a purchased portion for God's inheritance. So, by way of summary, we have received heavenly blessings. The Spirit is the authorization of that. Next, the Spirit bears upon us the imprint of Jesus, his ways, his ownership, his claim. And thirdly, the Spirit guarantees that we will become God's portion. This is good news, isn't it? So what does it all mean for us? I just want to take a couple minutes now to wrap this all up. And I encourage you to meditate on this this week. First of all, when we ask, what does it mean to belong to God? I'm just going to say a few things. This isn't exhaustive, but this is, this is some things that you should just file away. If you have the Spirit, it means you belong to God, and here's what that means. It means that you can ask for fatherly provision. You are not an orphan anymore. You are not, a, you are not someone who is destitute and abandoned. As David would write in the Psalms, though father and mother abandon me, you have not forgotten me. That is how good God is. When you have the Spirit of God, it's the reminder that God has promised to provide for you. He may not give you everything you want. He may not satisfy every craving of your flesh. But he will provide for you. And you can call upon him. The second thing it means that to belong to God is that we share Christ's heritage. The phrase that's repeated through all of these promises in the first part of Ephesians is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And there's probably five or six more in Christ in there. What all of this means is that all the good things that God has in store for us are bound up in our belonging to Jesus. If the Spirit is, is the stamp sealing us, we should ask, what is he sealing us to? The answer is he's sealing us to Christ. The Spirit has sealed us to Christ. 
And so we share his heritage. His, his past and his history becomes our past and our history. His future and his glory becomes our future and our glory. As he was in the world, so we should expect to be in the world. Or as Paul would say, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. All in Christ. Thirdly, it means we can rest in God's protection. How many of us spend our days worrying, fretting, like the disciples in the boat, trying to rouse God from his slumber? Wake up, wake up, wake up. When in reality, when you have the Spirit of Christ, you can be like Jesus sleeping in the boat. We can look at the storm and we can say, I don't need to fear. I don't need to be like those of little faith. Why? Because I am not just some random person in a boat that's about to sink. I am God's very own treasured possession. Where is God going to leave his treasured possession? Those disciples, the foundation of the church, was he going to let them sink to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee? No. No. This gives us hope in our trials. It gives us hope in our catastrophes. But it also dignifies our sufferings. Because we don't suffer as those that are victims. We are su- when we have to suffer, we suffer as those who are instruments in God's grander plan, like Joseph who endured so much hostility from his brothers, we can have the perspective that said what they meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, he dignifies our sufferings even as he gives us hope in the midst of the chaos and the storm and the peace. Fourthly, this means that we can anticipate the story's end. Oh, brothers and sisters, I think the church would come alive, would come alive if we stopped worrying about our future. If we stopped worrying about our future and thinking, how am I going to secure myself? How am I, I going to take care of this? How am I going to take care of that? What's going to happen to this? What's going to happen to that? If we could be liberated from, the, from, from that fear and trust that the story has a good end, that I'm safe and I'm secure, that I belong to God and he's not going to throw me away. But he's going to accomplish his purposes in me. Children, you need to hear this. Parents, you need to teach it to your children. That there is a God who is writing a wonderful, beautiful story and that he has a particular reason and a purpose for them in it. We need to call forth hope and reflect that hope because the story has a good end. And finally, and finally, we need... This means, excuse me, that we exist to praise God's glory. You see, there's a beauty in not belonging to yourself, but there's also humility as well. Church, the earth doesn't revolve around us. We are not the headline. It's not about our power. It's not about our capacity. 
And I'm telling you, I'm begging you, it is far better when the world says, hey, let's go chase some glory for ourselves. It's far better for you to say, you know what, I'm going to pass. I don't need to chase my own glory. It's far better for you to do that than to jump on that train and say, yeah, that sounds good, let's go. Only to find the very Spirit of God trying to throw you and pull you off that train. You see, if you persist in the culture's obsession with self-will and self-power and self-exaltation, if you and I persist in that in some sort of vague notion that we can secure our identity and our worth because of what we can accomplish, if we do that, brothers and sisters, one of two things will be true. Either God will humble you mightily. He will bring you low. forcibly because you are his until you acknowledge him or you will not be brought low which means in all your pursuit of God you missed him he was just a cog in your machine he was a stepping stone to your plan and your glory which would mean you were never really his and that is by far the thing to be most feared. That's what we should be afraid of missing out on. Oh, there's a quietness and a contentment in knowing that you belong to God. I pray you take it up this week. Let's pray. God, would you continue to humble us before you? May we be liberated from this need to pursue our own glory. And may we be content not just content, but, but exuberant in the fact that we belong to you and that we can say that we are your possession. Oh, Lord, that you delight in us is a, is a miracle, that you would choose us as your inheritance. May we be to the praise of your glory. Amen.